You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. You're not a very good B2B marketer. You have no chance of hitting your growth targets. Only our latest MarTech tool can turn the ship around. As a marketer, would you be receptive to such a message from a MarTech vendor? Probably not. So if you're marketing cybersecurity tools, you probably shouldn't approach IT security pros by comparing them to the latest breach to make the headlines or telling them how vulnerable their business is because of the decisions they've made. So we need to be really, really careful about um, scaring people into buying. I don't think that uh, would ever work. Um, And it's definitely something that we as cybersecurity marketing professionals need to move away from. What we need to focus on is actually what are the benefits um, of having a good cybersecurity um, system in place? Why do you need a strong cybersecurity strategy? There's a number of reasons for this. Cyber insurance is going through the roof. Um, In fact, we were talking to some accountancy firms earlier this week and they were saying, actually, it's better for us to manage the risk than it is to transfer the risk. That's Sawsan Hemowendi from Heimdall Security. And on this episode of B2B Nation, Sawsan and I are talking about the most effective ways to market cybersecurity solutions. We'll discuss the return on specific tactics like in-person events and talk about Sawsan's experience bridging the gap between marketing and sales. Welcome to B2B Nation. Sawsan <laughs> Hemowendi, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Thank you so much, Mike. I'm so, so excited to be here. As mentioned, my name is Sam Hamawandi. I am the head of global demand generation at Heimdall, um, and we are a, a European provider of cloud-based security solutions. We've got over 11,000 customers worldwide in different industries, ranging from small uh, businesses right up to, to large enterprises, and also consumers as well. We sell directly to for those that, that want to protect themselves, um, they would typically ask, uh, come to us when they need patch management, asset management, ransomware protection, endpoint write management. It's quite a range, actually. So it's a, a lovely company to be at, and they do amazing things. I was going to say, actually, one thing a lot of people don't know about Heimdall, which I personally find very interesting, is that the origins of of the organization, we actually started out by working very closely with companies like the FBI uh, at events like DEF CON. um, And we were taking down some of the the biggest ransomwares uh, strains that were around. And so from there, the, the, the original products originated. And from there, they've gone on to add on the, these other solutions that help businesses really strengthen their cybersecurity programs. All right. So let's talk about cybersecurity and the cybersecurity market for a minute or two. Everybody needs cybersecurity tools, right? There's a huge market out there. So <laughs> Every man and his dog. <laughs> <laughs> And we have constant reminders on the news of why everybody needs cybersecurity tools, because every breach, every, I'm not even going to say what the latest one is, because in the couple of weeks until we air this, it won't be the latest one anymore. What is working in cybersecurity marketing these days, in your opinion? Yeah, I'll start with what's not working. And I think one thing that a lot of um, companies, particularly that I speak to, because I work very closely with sales and and with marketing, is the fear route. 
telling them about the latest headline and saying, hey, you're going to be next because no one, no one in the world likes to hear that or think that they're not doing a good job. Um, we in demand generation particularly are speaking to IT professionals who, who have been in the space for probably before I was even born. So us telling them about cybersecurity or how they can protect their organizations can sometimes be quite um, offensive to them. They might think, you know what, well, I know how to do my job. You know, I don't tell you how to do your job. So we need to be really, really careful about scaring people into buying. I don't think that uh, would ever work. And it's definitely something that we as cybersecurity marketing professionals need to move away from. What we need to focus on is actually what are the benefits of having a good cybersecurity system in place why, why do you need a strong cybersecurity strategy there's a number of reasons for this cyber insurance is going through the roof um, in fact we were talking to some accountancy firms earlier this week and they were saying actually it's, it's better for us to manage the risk than it is to transfer the risk and that that's just something that's a, a recent example because previously cyber insurance would have been relatively low compared to what it is now then we've got things like compliance. You know, there's so many laws and restrictions around how you need to process data. And actually, this is for all marketers, not even just cyber. There's a great emphasis on us because we need to practice what we preach. You know, we're talking about GDPR. We're processing people's data. We need to make sure we're doing it in a compliant way, um, because if anything was happened, the reputational damage for businesses like ours would be much greater. We need to be at the forefront of that so that we understand how we can process consumer, customer, employee data in a way that doesn't actually go against what the law is telling us. And that's just not in Europe. You know, the California, there's Canadian laws as well. South America have different uh, regional laws. These are things we as marketers need to be aware of, particularly in global companies, particularly in the cyberspace, because the, the implications there are far greater for us. In addition to this, one of the main things that we need to do before anything else is establish trust because you wouldn't just go and tell someone where you put all your savings. You wouldn't say, oh, I hide it under my pillow or it's under the floorboard under the fridge. You wouldn't do that. And it's the same with cybersecurity. So the first thing we need to do is establish trust. So one of the ways that we do that in, in marketing is through thought leadership. If we can show them we we, we work with 11,000 businesses. We know what they're doing. We know what works. And we create referenceability and guide and consult them in a way that doesn't scare them into why they should do something, but shows them the, the advantages of doing things in a certain way. Actually, I was reading a funny thread on LinkedIn, which someone said, you know, if, if someone came to you and said, buy this dog food because your dog is going to die if you don't. I, I remember commenting on that thinking, I don't want to think about the death of my dog. Why would you want me to think about the death of my dog? That's the worst thing I can think about. Why don't you tell me what's the benefit, how happy he's going to be, how energetic my dog is going to be um, as a result of this, how much longer I'm going to have with him. I don't, don't even think about his funeral. <laughs> and it's the same with cybersecurity. You know, you, you don't want to uh, pigeonhole someone into a route because it makes it easier for you to sell. If anything, it's going to make it harder for you. And it's the same with ambulance chasers. Don't just go after the companies that have been hacked because they need to focus on incident response. It's too late for you to say, well, if you had our solution, you wouldn't be. Oh, that's not true. No one can say that because there's no such thing as cybersecurity. Any company can get hacked, no matter what solutions they have in place. And that's the, that's the truth. A, a, a truthful person will tell you that. 
what you can do is build cyber resilience that helps you protect against that. And even laws like GDPR say, if you have measures in place that try to prevent that attack from happening, and you've tried to mitigate that risk as far down as you can, when it comes to when they issue the fines, they'll, they'll be more lenient because they know you've taken steps and no one can physically prevent an attack. It's the same with your house. If you put locks on your doors, if you put cameras, if you put alarm systems, that doesn't mean your house is not going to get burgled. There's still a very likely chance, hopefully not, but there's still a possibility of that happening. What it does is reduces the risk because it might deter burglars and go, oh, actually, let me not. I don't want to get caught or actually this could potentially backfire on me. So I think there's, there's a lot of things that we in cybersecurity need to do. And I think that poses some greater challenges for perhaps some other industries. But I think each industry has their own uh, unique problems that they need to, to overcome. All right. So you have held both sales and marketing roles in your career and in our prep work for this episode. You mentioned the phrase bridging the gap between sales and marketing. Yeah. For years, we've heard about marketing sales alignment. I thought the gap idea was an interesting concept. So does that differ from the old alignment discussion that we've heard for years in your mind as someone who's yeah. played on both sides? Yeah, and I think I've, I've, it's been really interesting because I actually studied marketing at university, went into cybersecurity sales, and then came into a role which was half sales, half marketing, and transitioned slowly into to demand generation. And I think for me, what bridging the gap actually means is when you've been on the marketing side, you can understand that the process that it takes to to generate demand, you know how much, what campaigns you're putting in place, but you're not necessarily always thinking about the experience from the customer journey side. And I think as someone who's been on the other side, someone who's been in sales, who's received leads or prospects or insights or data to, to go after a particular individual or organization, sometimes you don't always have the, the information that you need to go after that prospect. And sometimes it might feel like shooting in the dark and it plays both ways. Um, but I think one advantage of having played both sides is seeing that some of the challenges the other side have and knowing what the other side need from the other team. So for example, when I was in sales, I know what a good lead looked like to me. I knew what would be a good lead just by looking at the, the company size, the type of role we're getting, the type of industry we're getting. I knew what would resonate based on our existing customer base or previous conversations that we've had. And I also know from a, a marketing side how it is to, to do the targeting and how wh where the restrictions are, um, what type of things that we can put out there in it, uh, what kind of speed. And so, by being able to play both sides, I think I get a, a more rounded view. Um, so when I talk about alignment, sometimes it's different um, in different businesses. I think every business says that they are aligned because they're both in the same building or perhaps you know they both share the same common goal. But how much do they actually talk and how much do they actually communicate? Do they know what marketing is doing, what campaigns are coming up, um, where their focus is? Do, does marketing know what the ICP is? Do they know where we're likely to have the, the most success, what the sweet spot is? Um, because that's how we need to target our campaigns. And so it's really, really important for both sides to come together very regularly. And actually in, in organizations that I've been at, I make sure I speak to sales every single day. 
Now that might seem a little bit obsessive and, and intrusive, but that's the best way to have communication flowing through different departments. Now, a lot of people think that because marketing start and initiate uh, quite a lot of the conversations that you know data flows one way, but I found it most successful when we receive feedback from the sales team around how campaigns perform or what types of objections they're coming across. If we feed that back into our, our marketing engine, um, it helps us improve continuously and optimize at a faster rate and not based on assumption, but based on data. If we know what the common roadblocks are, we can in inform our content strategy. If these are the things that customers are saying or prospects are saying, these are the words they use and these are the terms they're using, best believe that's what our content team needs to be writing about because that's probably what those prospects will be searching for. And you, you can't have a content strategy based on just, just marketing assumption. You need to do it based on what's gonna rank and what people search for and what better to, to get it from than the people that are actually searching. So if we don't constantly ask sales for that type of information, how can we stay ahead? How can we get in front of those prospects that are searching? It will all be based on assumption. And to me, that's a very um, risky strategy in the sense that you might land some good rankings on particular keywords, maybe on some good searches, but are they going to be really bottom of the funnel? Because if they're bottom of the funnel, they're more likely to convert a bit faster. They'll have a better impact on the sales cycle. Um, and you're, you're more likely to, to build that trust with sales as well. And I think, yes, we need to build a relationship with the, the prospects, but we also need to build that relationship with sales where they trust what we're doing, we trust what they're doing, and it becomes a seamless process throughout the whole sales cycle. Because even once it's past sales, we need to have that open communication with CS. What's working with our customer base? How can we help you with renewal? It's particularly in SaaS businesses, not even just in cyber. But these are, we need to make sure they're constantly renewing because it's not a one-off purchase. So we need to make sure our customers are constantly happy and we can't guess why those things are. We need to actually speak to CS. We need to speak to these customers and, and learn more. Speaking of the customer journey, to what extent do you think marketers can help influence the sales cycle? And what should marketers be doing if they want to help move opportunities along once they're in the hands of sales? I, I absolutely am a firm believer that marketing can influence the sales cycle and we should be at every stage, not just at the top of the funnel, but before the sales cycle even starts. How can we get in front of people? How can we actually generate demand? Because we're not just here to generate leads or, you know, uh, get contact details or get form fills. That, that's quite subjective data. But I mean, you, you can count those. But does that actually in the long run create reoccurring revenue for the business that you're working with. So before the sales cycles even started, it's just getting on people's radar. Now that could be things like analyst relations, getting out there with review sites. How can people find you? How do they know that that problem exists and the solution to that problem exists? And that's not gonna be just specific to cyber. Once they are aware of you and they start reaching out, they start coming in, they might take different actions, but you can't treat these people all the same. You know, you can't paint them with the same paintbrush and go, someone that downloads an ebook and someone that requests a demo, they're both going to go through that same journey that we've we've mapped out because it, it can't just come from marketing, go straight to sales and be treated the same. The person that downloads the ebook might just be browsing. I mean, we all download content all day, every day. We consume content all day, every day. Sometimes 
without even realizing. And so that person there might be browsing. They might require a bit of nurturing before they're ready to hit sales. And therefore, you, you can't be treating them the same. So we need to make sure we put, uh, like Netflix, uh, a tailored approach whereby we're drip feeding them content that might be relevant at different stages um, related to what we already know they're interested in. And this comes back to the point around, you know, data is just so important. I was really, really shocked when I found out um, that Gartner actually, I think it was only last week, mentioned that only 53% of marketers are using marketing analytics to influence decision making. And to me, that blows my mind. How, how can we make decisions without data? It's, it would all be based on assumption and prayer. <laughs> and to, to me, hope is not a strategy. So, you know, we need to understand what these different paths look like once the leads come in, how we pass them to sales, and then once we pass them to sales, does sales have enough information to follow up with that prospect accordingly? You know, if they've downloaded an ebook about a, a specific product, they need to have a conversation about that specific product and not another product that we may have. You know, I think that increases the complexity as well because we have multiple products. We need to be super, super clear about the information that we pass along. Once we've passed it along, um, how can we help them, you know, move that further down the funnel? Perhaps they need checklists, perhaps they need consulting, perhaps they need um, some advice on what has worked with existing customers. Perhaps they even want to speak to an existing customer. These are things that we need to facilitate between the two teams. Um, and that's why we need that open communication. Once we've you know, closed that bit of business and we've won or we've lost, we need to know why and analyze it. I think a lot of companies, don't do this but I think one thing I love a lot about Heimdall and it's, it's just absolutely revolutionary they know the reasons for for deals we analyze deals after it happened regardless of the outcome because if you can pinpoint um perhaps where you could improve or where you went wrong or even just ask the customer for feedback you know why did you buy us or why didn't you buy us why did you go with another vendor that's all information that you could then feed back into your marketing engine from the beginning and then, if, of course, if it does progress, work with CS, make sure they're happy, make sure they know about product updates, make sure they know about the roadmap, make sure they're communicated to, not just when, you know, their renewals coming up, but be there along the way and feed them value that um, can help them optimize their use of the solution, not just because you want them to buy more functionality or modules. And I think that's where a lot of companies trip up, particularly SaaS. They go, right, we've got this now. Let's try and get the next new bit of business. But hey, you've got customers like you've got, an, you know, you've got a duty of care to, to look after them. Um, and I think, you know, Heimdall really, really do place customer success as massively important. And in cybersecurity, that's huge because they're trusting us with something super important. You know, if something was to happen tomorrow, we would have to be there with them. You know, we, we are a partner. You, you've trusted us with your security. We can't just leave you to it now. Um, so I think that's definitely something that we can do to influence the sales cycle because that's why uh, renewals will be high. It makes it easier to cross sell when they're happy because they can see the value. But I think a lot of businesses, what they'll try and do is sell you a, a full suite before a company's even ready for it. But what we'll do is map out, right, this is what you actually need to get started. These are the foundation things you need to, if you're just trying to get compliant, these are the foundations you need in place. Of course, as and when you're ready, you can add on the different modules and it'll be completely scalable and tailored to your business. But until then, let's work with what you have and make sure it is as strong as it can be.
because if a company's security is under control and it's automated, it's efficient, it's working well, they can focus that time on other things. And we know for, I think every um, person that has the skill and the talent, I think there's about 20 vacancies. So companies can't afford to have their limited cybersecurity professionals burn out or unhappy because it's so hard to replace them. And so it's so, so important that, you know, we can help them in any way to make sure that they're making the most out of the systems. And it's not always buying more technology. And that's something that our CEO in particular is very honest about. Sometimes it is doing more with less or doing it slightly better. And again, that's something that a lot of people will shy away from. So what are your thoughts on 2023? It's going to be, uh, I think, October of 2022 when this episode publishes. There's some things about 2023 that are going to be better. I think the pandemic situation looks better, better for in-person events and get-togethers and meetings. However, the economy is showing us a lot of uncertainty. So what do you think is going on in 2023? There's definitely a lot going to be happening in 2023, and I'm I'm super excited. I know, um, obviously, it has been challenging with the pandemic and you know economic uncertainty. There's definitely a lot of things in the air. Um, one thing is for sure, cybersecurity is not going anywhere. However, we do know that budgets are being cut, and and that's fine. You know, you don't necessarily need to have the biggest budget. It's just understanding actually what do you need to do with your budget. It's the same with marketing. You know, if we know that we've got a specific budget to generate demand and, you know, it gets cut, we just need to be a bit more creative with it. We need to go, right, well, what is our focus areas? Businesses in in every function will potentially see cuts. IT, we know, you know, Gartner even predicted this. They, They will see spending cuts in IT, although security might not be one of them but for many organizations that prioritize that um and and that's okay but i think in terms of actually in-person events i'm actually seeing people prefer to go back to it now because we are used to time working we are used to remote working remote working in itself produces lots of cyber risks for businesses but there's definitely lots of reasons for it and security professionals to, to go out to these events one thing I've seen personally is they're shying away from some of the bigger events and actually, especially senior level decision makers, they're going to more intimate events that are more focused around particular problems that they're having. I'm personally not a massive fan of the, the bigger conferences. They tend to be a lot about who's got the biggest stand, who's got the coolest giveaways. But the gimmicks, I don't think really reflect demand. I've seen a lot of companies where they've spent huge eye-altering numbers on their stand and how, how much they invest into events and it's, it's great for awareness it's great for having um visibility on the day you can promote on social media you can even turn it into a blog after the one thing it doesn't necessarily do is guarantee any business will come from it and I think one thing that is particularly important to me in demand generation is making sure that the events we're at are the ones that the decision makers are at. It's not good enough necessarily being just in a a room full of other vendors because unless I'm going to sell to those other vendors, then, you know, that's that's not really the best use of marketing dollars. And I think some of the events I've been to recently are more vendor heavy. But one thing that I've found that goes really well is being in a room 
and more intimate room with those senior level decision makers, building the relationships because it's so, so hard to do virtually. You can see them, you can hear them, but it's not the same as actually connecting in person. I think you, you build so much more of a connection and in cybersecurity, we are building trust. So that's super important. I just think people are moving away from those larger events to more intimate, specific to a, a particular challenge. And they don't wanna be sold to. I also think that that's another thing that a lot of businesses don't realize is they wanna have a conversation about a challenge that they have. And they want to know how other businesses solve it. They want to hear thoughts. They want to hear insights. They don't really want to be sold to. And I've been to a lot of marketing events as well where I'm sitting there listening to a presentation. I'm like, please don't try and sell to me. Just tell me something that I'm going to learn from. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have a conversation with you after. And then I probably will buy from you. Um, and actually some of the best presentations that we've delivered and the best feedback we've had is when we don't mention product at all. Because... This is not product you're selling. You're trying to sell a way of doing things. Naturally, if that way resonates, people will come to you. But if you're just like, hey, buy this, hey, buy this, it's, it's going to turn people away. And that, that's not what you want to do. Yeah, as a marketer I spoke to recently said about the big events that picking up a free T-shirt is not a form of intent. No, absolutely <laughs> not. And and I would, I would completely agree with that. I think... Um, one thing that surprises me actually is HubSpot recently said that only 48% of companies have a content strategy. Now, to me, that, that just is insane because content is sh should be the core of everything. Content is where everything begins, in, in my opinion. It is really that encompassing all the different functions, actually, um, and how we can really help influence the sales cycle and the fact that there's 52 percent of businesses out there that don't have a content strategy i mean that's something that in 2023 they need to get around to because people really do underestimate the power of content the thought leadership being out there being present and um actually sharing what you're seeing i think people are really scared to do that because they maybe it's because they think oh i don't want to say the wrong thing or i don't have time Thought leadership and blogs and um, audiences build up over time. It's not going to be overnight. So the sooner you start, the sooner you start building your audience organically, the sooner you bring more inbounds. It puts less pressure on your sales to do outbound, but it also then keeps your customers happy because they're like, oh, here's something I didn't know. Oh, this is going to help me with my strategy. But content shouldn't be just as well, just product. It, sh it should be a range of different things that any, any business can use to inform their strategy. I'm smiling because as someone who spent about 15 years on the content side, uh, it, yeah, 50, was it 52% don't have a content strategy? Yeah. Right? Almost 100% have content, but only half have a strategy. That's kind of how I hear that. Right? Like <laughs> but then even then strategies can be used quite loosely because what do you, what does your strategy even suggest? Is it based on how much time people are spending on your website or how much traffic you're, you're building? Is it based on the authority that you're building for your, your authority score for your website? You know, it depends what you're measuring your content strategy on. There's so many different dimensions to it. And I've seen businesses report on different things as what they see as an effective content strategy. But really, how can you measure education in your industry because that's what it should be about that could be hard to measure but then one one of the things that i think is a, a really good indication is does your content 
and we in marketing have all the tools available to, to track, you know, which blogs are the ones performing the best, how much time do people spend? You know, Google Analytics is just a jungle, a jungle, but it's, it's a great jungle to be in. There's, there's so much fruit. Uh, you just got to pick it off. But people don't spend time. They just build the jungle, water the, the plants and then walk away. Uh, but when, when do you have time to collect the fruit? Because if you don't have time to do that, you'll never use the data to make better decisions. But one thing I think is super, super important when you're measuring your content strategy, are these pieces resonating? Is it encouraging inbounds? Are people signing up to our newsletter as a result? Are people asking us questions? Are people commenting and engaging? Because engagement is a good, good sign of people's interest. And that's definitely something we try to do with our webinar program. And a lot of businesses use and have a webinar program that's part of a content strategy. It's just a different medium. It's not written. But they use it as an opportunity to lecture people or give a demo, an unwarranted demo. Now, that's fine. It works. Maybe not effectively, but it, it brings in leads. But how, how do you use a webinar strategy to actually inform your audience? Now, one thing I think that I do, do really well is we don't think of our webinars as a, a lecture. It's definitely a two-way thing. And anyone who's joined our webinars know the audience speak into these webinars as much as we do. We spend quite a lot of time answering questions and we do it throughout, reading out comments, polls, because it's, it's so good when you've got a community together. And that's, that's what we've done with our webinar program. We've built a, a community. Now, there are a few webinars that I listen to from, from marketing organizations that are a, a massive community. And I really enjoy them because I feel like I'm part of something. And they're not selling to me. And I don't actually sometimes buy what they're selling. But the insights that they share still help me with what I do. And I just listen in because I, I find them so engaging. And I, I take part, I ask questions and I, I give thoughts, my perspectives. And that's exactly what we do with cyber because every business has thoughts and perspectives. And it's just so great to, to collect that in a point in time because they then feel like they are part of a, a wider community and that they have a say because they, they too have insights that are important to us. So the fact that we can share that with the wider community live for them becomes um, hugely beneficial, both for direct business and also channel. And that's something we've not touched on, but again, don't underestimate the power of channel. Channel marketing is, is hugely, hugely valuable. And again, that is a, an avenue that a lot of people forget about because they're so focused on direct sales and it's definitely something that, you know, particularly SaaS businesses in cyber should, should not overlook. You've held roles at both large and small companies. What do you see is the biggest difference in how they operate their marketing and go-to-market functions? Yeah, I think the obvious answer there is budgets, um, but actually creativity as well. I've, I've seen it. And when I, when I speak to my peers in, in other organizations and other roles, I've got quite a few friends in other cybersecurity companies that do similar roles and we're always sharing ideas and thoughts. Um, larger companies typically have more to spend and they start to lose their creativity because they actually start to uh, outsource quite a lot of these different functions or different initiatives. But what they sometimes overlook is actually they're the ones that hold the knowledge around their product and their business. And they actually hold the key and the insights to run these campaigns and sometimes better themselves than they do outsourcing. But sometimes it is so much easier to outsource 
But with, with smaller organizations, because budgets are limited, personnel is limited, I think it, there is so much greater focus on, well, what are we trying to do here? What do we want this campaign to achieve? Because we can't do everything, we'd love to. And it's, it's the same with cybersecurity, right? Cybersecurity professionals can't get every single tool that they need, but what are the basics that they need in place to do what they need to do? So creativity and budgets are, are the two. And I've seen when budgets are lower, creativity is a lot higher. And actually sometimes you're, you're more effective. Now I've seen teams that have had less budget actually produce a lot better results because they're actually thinking, what do I need to achieve rather than where do I need to be? For example, if we apply this logic to events, I need to be at the biggest event. Well, do you need to be at the big, biggest event and have the biggest stand and give away a drone to every single person that walks by? No, you really don't. But you might go to a more intimate event that's very, very focused. You might only have 50 or 60 individuals there. But they are the people that hold the budgets and have the challenges and could sign off, you know, within weeks. So it really is understanding about what are you trying to do? What are you what are the goals and what do you need to provide? Now, one of the main things that we do at Heimda is when we're launching new channels or deciding hmm, where should we put our budgets? It's all about uh, revenue. It, it has to come back to revenue because, again, one thing that marketers do a lot of is reporting on leads and meetings booked. And that's great. Uh, that's that's excellent. But it's not really it doesn't cut the mustard. If, if marketing actually can't quantify the, a pipeline or say this is how much we've generated for the business, I think that marketing function is is, is not successful because we as marketers have a duty to present our solution to the market and we can do it at mass scale uh, whereas sales they can do it on an individual basis you know they can do it on an account basis but we we have the tools available to do it at a mass scale and so there's a lot of potential for marketing to, to actually generate more if we go down the educational thought leadership route and put sales in rooms and situations where they're likely to interact with buyers or people that have a problem that we can solve now us reporting on meetings booked it's, it's a lovely number it's easy to quantify but what happens after those meetings do they progress do those um, conversations actually hold any weight are we speaking to the right people at the right time with the right problem because if we're not then that's definitely something that needs to be addressed so I think in terms of actually how demand generation functions report and how marketing functions report, they need to be thinking in terms of long-term and not just how much new business pipeline we've generated, but how much are we helping partners? What are we doing for the channel? Um, are we enabling them to sell as well? Because you know that's a massive, massive um, potential there that that potentially is overlooked. And are we helping customer success as well? What does our NPS score look like right now? Are customers satisfied? Are they renewing? Um, because if we're not able to report on those things, then we're not able to make decisions. But those decisions all have to be backed by data. And everything, everything comes back to the collaboration between the different teams and actually all being on the same page of what are we trying to do as a business? If our goal is we need to make 100 million by the end of the year, well, marketing needs to think, well, how can we contribute to that? Because it's not just sales that have to contribute pipeline. 
we all have to work together to to, to get there you know otherwise what is the point of a, a marketing function what is your favorite tool this is a question we ask just about everybody who appears on the b2b nation podcast that thing you can't work without the usual rules apply you can't say a product that you're marketing and you can't say your phone unless you're setting a specific <laughs> app because we're all useless without our phones so what of is it for course. you I would say my favorite thing is definitely CRM. Um, we use Salesforce. I think Salesforce is the best thing since sliced bread. And I say that because that is the best way to create alignment between sales and marketing. Um, it's the single source of truth. It puts everything in one place. And if it's not in Salesforce, to me, it doesn't exist. Now, I know it's a, it's a really big challenge uh, for, for businesses because it requires input from all the different teams. And updating the data in CRMs is always a challenge for businesses. Every business I've been at, every business I'll be at, every business you've been at has probably had um, CRM challenges. It takes a lot. It takes an army and that, that, that can't be placed on just RevOps to keep up to date. It can't be just on marketing to update. It can't just be on, on sales teams to update. It is genuinely uh, a joint project. But I think I personally can't live without that because I know at any given time, know which accounts are surging we we know that which leads we're working with which leads we're progressing which customers we have everything is stored under one umbrella and for us that that is the central hub and when when you are building out your marketing tech stack you need to start with your crm you need to know what technologies you need to add on but they need to integrate well with your crm to avoid uh, manual work if you bring in siloed solutions, you actually increase the complexity of your, your job. But one thing that marketing automation platforms are, are really successful at, if implemented well, is bringing all these different technologies together, unifying them in one place and giving the business the information that they need in real time to do what they need to do. You know, creating reports, creating dashboards, it's the best way to understand where you're currently at and where you need to be. And I think people don't leverage Salesforce data enough. As I mentioned before, uh, it's not just about which leads you're working on. It's about your customers, the customer satisfaction. It's about understanding uh, what campaigns are working really well and having that account-based view as well. But different teams require different views. So it's just about being able to, to slice and dice that data in a way that helps you have the visibility to make tomorrow more successful than it was today. Um, and I think with something like a, a CRM system that everyone collaborates on, it becomes that bit easier. But unfortunately, that's not something that, that happens overnight. It takes time, it takes money, it takes effort, it takes blood, sweat and tears. But I promise you, if you do one thing is, you know, work with your, your sales teams, work with your marketing teams, RevOps teams, get everyone in a room, sort out your Salesforce, iron out your processes because your, your processes ultimately have to match what's in there and um, br bring everything together. Because as soon as you've got that alignment, it makes it so much easier to run in the same direction and you're, you're more likely to, to be successful that way as well. All right, we have lost all of our HubSpot fans. Please come back, come back. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. Thanks for joining us here on B2B Nation. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been absolutely lovely speaking with you today. Thank you.
Thanks again to Sawsan Hemowindy for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. Thanks also to the technology advice team, Amy Dunn, Hunter Hill, and KJ Pace. If you liked this episode or found it insightful, share it with a friend and subscribe to B2B Nation on the podcast platform of your choice, including Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Pneumonics in the Guild wrote our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation. 